Hi, this is And the Oscar Doesn't Go To. I'm Sam Meltzer, and on this podcast, a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet not only failed to win that award, but didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, I will be joined by Ronaldo Sosa, who is currently in a heavy campaigning process to ensure that Jane Campion wins Best Director for The Power of the Dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she... And it's coming out, well, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but the movie's coming out next week and everyone should watch it. Yes, and she should win. Yeah. Today, we will be discussing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which was directed by Richard Brooks and released in 1958. And it got six nominations. So I sort of know your answer to this, but why did you choose this film out of all the films on the list? Well, when you sent me the list, I... I sorted the list by like the movie that I give the highest rating to, and I saw that Karen Hattenberg was like right up there. And it's one of my favorite movies. I don't think that it's like one a great movie that's like perfect in every way, but it's just like a lot of fun to watch. And one of my favorite things to just watch and have fun watching. And it has Elizabeth Taylor and my husband Paul Newman is in it. So of course I had to pick it. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised by that last part of the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those films that is iconic among some people. But, like, I had seen it years ago. I think rewatching it yesterday was my third watch. Uh, it's one of those movies that is iconic in a lot of ways because of, like, the look of Elizabeth Taylor and, like, the dynamic and the play from Tennessee Williams. But it also isn't talked about as much outside of, like, our film circle and these Twitter circles and, and people who are Oscar completionists. So it is, it is nice to see something that's both not as seen, but also very popular. I don't know what I'm trying to get at here. <laughs> yeah. It's very popular within the right circles. The right places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But just to kick it off. So the opening scene we have Brick, played by gorgeous, stunning, haughty Paul Newman, <laughs> trying to run hurdles because he's like thinking, oh, I, I can go back to my high school years. I used to run hurdles. So randomly one night he tries to and, of course, breaks his leg. And then we cut to Brick's wife, Maggie, played by Elizabeth Taylor. And they're on, quote unquote, Big Daddy, Burl Ives, his property. He is <laughs> Brick's father. And we see her and him like have this conversation and it's clear that they're having a difficult relationship. She doesn't actually love his family that much. He doesn't seem to be so into her while well, she's really into him. And she tells him about the, and taunts him about like the inheritance of this huge plantation property that they're on. And then there's all this talk about big daddy. And, and we see him arrive on the plane from the hospital and all of Brick's brother's kids are there to greet him oh by the way those kids are so fucking annoying i wanted to yeah. i wanted to get them to <laughs> That's shut up that really made me made me relate to elizabeth taylor's character <laughs> i just hate kids yes exactly. just terrible. yeah yeah and then the greeting of the children like they're so annoying to big daddy so understandably he decides to go home with maggie we learn about the confusing case on whether he has cancer or not he does and then the family has their first dinner meeting and brick is absent due to his leg and alcoholism and that creates more trauma so what did you think about these few opening scenes what did you think about the way the film set itself up well i think i'll start with the 
after he after Polnima has the accident. Oh, because the ice cream! Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene with the ice cream. I think that that scene is like a perfect at like showing all the dynamics between everyone. Because you have Elizabeth Taylor coming in, and she, just from the look that she gives the kids, you just that like girl, this, you know honey. <laughs> And then you have Gooper is also there, who's Brick's brother, and he's sitting there, and he's, like, there, but he isn't really seeing anything. He's just, like, there. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> and then you have Madeline Sherwood, who plays uh, May, or Sister Woman. She kind of looks like a cat. I don't know why, but to me, she kind of looks like a cat. She has, like, weird eyes. <laughs> yeah, she has a very, a, a very peculiar face. <laughs> and just... You see her, like, when, because the girl is, like, taking the ice cream with her hands, like, with her bare hands, and very gross. And Elizabeth Taylor sees her, and she's like, stop that. And then she throws the ice cream at her legs. (laughs) And before she, before Elizabeth Taylor even does anything, you see May, just before Liz does anything, she's like, what are you about to do? Like, you just know that they hate each other, and nothing has happened yet so I think that the first scene is like really good at showing like how the different relationships between people are in the movie and like everyone talking about Big Daddy and I read I don't know if this is true really but I've heard that they say Big Daddy 83 times in this movie only 83 (laughs) I don't know it looks like it sounded like more but it sounded like 803 (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no I agree with you I love how quick they are to establish the relationship within these first couple of scenes you know the the marriage situation between maggie and brick you know exactly how brick's entire family feels about maggie and she is sort of this slick out of the box figure who is not conservative she's not traditional when his family really is and i and i like that perspective because you are it's easier to sympathize with her Because even though she is very loud and kind of troublemaking at times, she she does a lot of things that are not exactly intended to be well-behaved. You're still able to connect with her character because you agree with her. Like, I, I don't like these values of this family. I don't like the way they treat her. I don't like how annoying all these kids are and how every five fucking seconds they have the need to sing a song about Big Daddy being such a great person. And I think that her character is really there to show you how ridiculous this whole Southern conservative society was. Yeah, and I think that the whole situation of what's going on is like her really trying to cement her place in the in the family because you you hear from her that she was from a poor family before she married Brick that like the dress that she married him in was like a hand-me-down from a, a cousin that she hated and uh and she's trying to get him to sleep with her so that she can get pregnant so that she can cement her place in the family because uh, May her sister-in-law has like all these children, like seven, they have like five, I think five children, kids. and she's pregnant with another one. Oh gosh! And, and doesn't doesn't trying... Liz Taylor doesn't she refer to them as monsters? No neck monsters, <laughs> <laughs> little no neck monsters. She calls them. And then she's trying to have a kid because everyone's telling like, "Oh, you've been married for three years, and so why don't you have children? Why didn't you give him children? Like he's drinking because of you." And that's another thing 
like commenting on the sexism because like he's drinking it has to be because of her like he's like she's the one that isn't doing the right thing to get him to want to sleep with her yeah and so she had like all this pressure of having to make him have children with her yeah even though the sexuality is complicated but I think I think it really goes to show like that moment where the kid walks in and 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 I don't even remember if it was a boy girl but they're like you're just upset because you can't have babies. And it, it just goes to show like how stereotypical this was and how like, of course, like the mother-in-law is concerned because it, it, is she like, oh, this woman must be a terrible wife. And it just adds on to the fact that this family doesn't really like her because and not only the, like, not only like the attitude that she has, but the fact that she hasn't been pregnant with any of when any of his kids, when, as you said, it is mostly his fault. And I don't know, I, I just I just like the moments where it's not them directly telling her, it's like a kid or just all these forces of her realizing or her coming to a moment where she has to stop and think about the situation she, she's in. I think it, it, it works really well. Yeah, and when the kids tell those things to her, like you realize that because kids don't just come up with things like that on their own, it's, they, they hear their parents talking about it and... <laughs> Big Mama, how they call her. I think her name is Ida. Yeah, Big Mama. Judith Anderson's character. Yeah, and it's just... mm, Well, first should we begin to talk about this? Because there's a lot in this movie. Like... uh, Dysfunctional family. Yeah, let's just talk about, like, the sexual... The complicated sexuality that you mentioned. Because in the movie, it's hinted... Very Indeed. much, because that the reason that uh, that Paul Newman's character is drinking is because of something that happened with a friend of his that Skipper. committed suicide, and his name is Kipper. Yeah, and it's very vague what is that happens. Yeah, they have like they spent like twenty minutes or something talking about what happened, and you still don't know what happened. Because I know. Because they're all like, why would you do that? They're all arguing so much about it to the point where they never actually share it. And as an audience member, it's like, like, just tell us what happened. Like, I want to know so bad. Yeah, because according to the movie, Paul Newman's character, he used to be like this when he was in in college, I think he was like this football star. And well, then, him and Skipper were like major yeah, him and football Skipper. stars, and they had, and they were like, best after they graduated, friends they had a team together, and they were very good friends. <laughs> friends, and then like one day, Bonyman had an injury and he had to stay in the hospital, and so Skipper went to a game, and he wasn't like very good at playing, and like he depended on Bonyman for everything, and so they lose this game, and like Elizabeth Taylor confronts him about something and then they sleep together or do they like, never like that's the confusing thing because at one point I thought they were in the bed together and he caught them in the bed and then another point I thought he caught them in the locker room together and then another point I, I like it, it's confusing like, like he wasn't it, even there <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah and then there's like this phone call that skipper calls brick and, and because he's like him. suicidal and he needs help yeah. from 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 him and, and he doesn't answer he hears it ringing and just doesn't answer 
Yeah, and then he hangs up the phone and Skipper kills himself. And that's like basically the reason why he's drinking so much. He's just like, yeah. he's fed up with the mendacity of the, poor, of the world, which I, I've never heard that word before. And apparently it's like lying. <laughs> well, there there has to be like now from a modern perspective, you look at that and you're like, there's more than just the suicide. There has to be something else. And the sexuality and- is is the, the hidden. And you read the play. We can get into this later because someone asked a question about it and all that. But yeah. uh, it seems that, well, it kind of makes sense that they weren't as explicit about it just because if you're making a movie, it's going to, more people are going to see it than a play. Whereas a play, it's more specific with the audience and you can, you can be more outrageous with your dialogue. This was not an indie film. This made a lot of money. It was one of the biggest hits of 1958, the third highest grossing film of the year. So it did have to become a little bit sanitized, but watching it now, there are like moments where Paul Newman is crying. He's like, he was such a good friend of mine. And it was like, okay. Okay, like, and there are like some on. lines that, in the context of the of the movie, don't make no sense. <laughs> like when when Big Daddy mentions Skipper to him, and he's like, like, uh, what? Uh, like Skipper and I had like a friendship, and you're making it dirty by talking about it like that. And like he hasn't said anything really in the movie, but when when you see when like the context in the play makes a lot more sense in the movie because they get some lines that when in the context don't really make sense but when you know what they really meant then they start uh, like having meaning yeah yeah i mean i i just think that his his character arc is very interesting because at first you just think he's a drunk who's sad who broke his leg who's in a tough relationship and then of course the more that's revealed the more you become invested in him and really begin to empathize with the character because you can probably imagine Tennessee Williams was a gay play author from the south so you have to have some sort of connection between him and Brick as a character you can assume that I don't know if he came out to his family or I don't know if his family knew that he was gay. You you can't really know. But the whole relationship between Big Daddy and Brick is this very like toxic masculinity. You see this side of like masculine, toxic masculinity that is just so awful and so threatening because you don't want to ruin the quote unquote legacy of your family, but at the same time, you want to be who you are. And I think Brick as a character represents the struggle between those two factors. And his whole arc represents like this masculine urge in society and how you have to follow that if you're born a man, but he's not someone who really wanted to come forth with that and and physically couldn't. So like the contrast between him and Big Daddy and also the contrast between him and Jack Carson's character. I don't remember his name. Um, Gooper. Gooper, yes. Um, yeah, I think that that fascinated me the most. Yeah, and you also have like other dynamics, like even with Gooper, because he's like the ignored brother. Like everyone, like no one talks about him. Everyone ignores him. Like when he was growing up, Brick was always the favorite and like the parents always preferred him and loved him and he always felt like ignored and then when you see how he's so uh how he's so uh, materialistic and how he's always after the money and trying to get uh big daddy to sign the farm over to him the plantation to him and then him run things like it makes sense because if it doesn't like they never really 
took care of him or showed him love when he was growing up. And so it makes sense that he doesn't really care about them that much and he's just in it for the money. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think part of the reason why the focus is so heavily on Brick is because Cooper, like, went with society. He went with those norms. He had a family with five kids and did exactly what he was, quote unquote, supposed to do, whereas Brick was someone who didn't and and had all this hope from Big Daddy and Big Mama that, you know, they expected him to, to really go forth with this, whereas with Cooper, they just let him like they just. I guess, figured and they, they didn't care as much. Maybe they didn't see as much in him as a person. So they let him off so much easier and the, their focus was so much heavier on Brick because he was the one who wasn't able to do it. And they were willing so hard to fight just so he could fit into the norm and expand the money and expand their family. Mm, yeah, it's like, I, remember, I, I think about this a lot because it's like when you have something that's yours you don't really mind it and then when you can't have it that's when you want it more because I remember when I was a kid like, like I was punished for something and my mom hid all, all my toys in the closet and then I took them every day when she was at work and I played with them and then after like the punishment was over and I had my toys I never touched them of course <laughs> you always want the thing that you don't have and that's why like Brick doesn't give them that, that much attention he doesn't do, really do what they say so they are after him more than they are after Cooper. If he had a big family and, and he had all that money and was working a job and had all these kids, then they wouldn't be at him at all. They'd just be like, oh, he did what we wanted him to do. He, he, he's destiny. He, he's perfect. But because he didn't, they, they think of him all the time and are just mm -hmm. taunting him. <laughs> yeah, and there's... Like, uh, they changed the the setting of this movie, because I remember that you were talking about, the, like, this is a plantation. In Mississippi. And the, yeah, in Mississippi. And it was set, the play was set, like, not too long after the Civil War. And there's, like, oh. a, yeah, there's talk about, like, slaves and freeing the slaves and things. Because you said that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor's character was the more liberal person to the yeah. conservative family that Big Daddy. Had. Well, I suppose Paul Newman's character could be liberal in comparison to his family as well, but yeah. def Maggie is certainly more out there with it. Yeah, and even in the play, she has one line where she even says that like her great-grandfather freed all the slaves that he had before the civil war happened and how mm. like all the people kept on to them and how like her family didn't have any slaves and they kept on freedom and whatever so yeah there's also a lot of that like the the, the conservatism versus like uh, them being threatened by Maggie who represents like this new way of thinking and living mm -hmm. and that's probably why they don't like her that much except for Big Daddy because he's he thinks she's hot yeah he probably <laughs> wants he wants to have an affair with her yeah I mean, and that <laughs> She is really stunning. Yeah, like in this from movie. the very moment that she that he walks down from the airplane and like Big Mama and Cooper and May and like all their their children are like going after him and then he sees Elizabeth Taylor like standing away from the airport and he and it's just like a shot of her and you see like the look that he gives her. It's very strange considering that that's her daughter-in-law. <laughs> Yeah, but she also is like, again, like she's much more out there. The clothing she wears, 
She's more showy. She likes to wear things that show off her body and her face more so than the other women in this family. So, and they're much more conservative. They, they dress themselves up more, whereas she is loose and she's like, I can wear whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to look gorgeous all the time. So he's going to naturally be attracted to her, but it, it is really just incest, not incestual because they're not blood related, but like this whole, again, like the Southern critique is really evident by the fact that he cares less about his grandchildren and about his, his actual children. And he's more in favor of, of going home with the hot woman who happens to be his daughter-in-law. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to think of like scenes later. Um, About what? Just like the scenes you like the most? Yeah, I'm trying to think of that. Like, um, wait, give me a second, because I have some notes that I took. Oh. <laughs> well, I assume you you liked the the ending conversation between Big Daddy and Brick a lot. Yeah, and that's. Uh, that ending conversation when they have like the thing in the basement, right? Yeah. That conversation between them was mostly made up for the movie because in the play they don't really make up. And mm. they have this talk about like how they how Big Daddy never gave him love when he was growing up and he was just buying things and he thought that money would give love and how when Big Daddy was a kid like the only thing that his dad left him was a briefcase that had like his uh his uniform from the war and how he didn't want his kids to end up like that like to he didn't want to leave them with nothing and then they have they basically make up and it has a happy ending it seems and then they don't they forget about Skipper and they don't talk about that anymore <laughs> uh, yeah but that scene didn't really work for me uh, well I see what you're saying because it isn't challenging if if you have a scene where, where they arguing and they sort of make it up and that there is this sense of hope. It isn't challenging the viewer. You, you want to see something like that happen, but if there, if it was cut shorter or didn't really happen, then it would be challenging because you, you still have these lingering thoughts about the father son relationship. Yeah. And also because like the, they're having this, they make up about like him not being present for brick in his childhood but that isn't really the reason why he was drinking so they yeah. make up like this completely new thing and they talk about this and then that like fixes everything that was wrong before and that that doesn't really make sense but and I, I, I'm something like I'm really negative in this movie but I really love it anyway because even though yeah. I know that it has its, flaw, its flaws I know that if the movie was made like it should have been made it couldn't has been made yeah. in that time because of the code and everything. So I'm just glad that we have what we have and that Paul Newman is really good in this movie. Like I love Liz, but he's the star of the movie. Yeah. Because like uh like it's one of my favorite performances of his and you see like the hurt in his face and like those eyes. Oh, like, yeah. this... They're they like really striking. Yeah, and it's not even the color. color. They just, they just, yeah, they really do. And yeah, I agree with you. I think 
maybe it's because his part is less showy. She's doing a lot of screaming and a lot of gestures and mannerisms that make the performance. I mean, it is very fit for Liz Taylor because she is she is very melodramatic in her tone. Sometimes she does overdo it at times. But Especially he later. In, yeah, in yes. Well, the, the screaming at the top of the mountain. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's he still has some moments that are big, but for the most part, it is a very emotionally restrained and devastating performance just from a lot of the way his stutters and a lot of his looks at the camera. Yeah, and even like the moments when he isn't talking, because Brick is a very sarcastic person. And when he's talking to a lot of characters, a lot of the, the time he just like... He, he's not really listening to what they're saying and he's just like looking off into the distance and someone says something to him and he just repeats that with a very sarcastic tone and then he really he's really able to mix that with the more vulnerable moments that he has and make that feel like it's the same person like it's the, the it's all it all fits with the character yeah and it doesn't feel like there's like too much of a diversion between them yeah, exactly. I mean, as like I do think her performance can get a get to a stage where she doesn't seem like a real person <laughs> because she is doing a lot of screaming and a lot of big things. But yeah, I mean, I think his his character is the heart of the film. It is the core of the film. She's just there to drive parts of the story whereas he's really the emotional aspect of it. She is emotional in that like she's trying to fit into this family and she's struggling with that and she is a lot of the time seen as like just a sex symbol or a really attractive person. But he's really the reason why this film, it, you're, people are able to connect with it. He's the reason why the relationship isn't working. He's the reason why the relationship between, you know, Maggie and him and the family and him aren't always working. So yeah, I, I think he's the star, but they're both really good in, in their own ways. Both of them are yeah. very entertaining. And from what I remember, like, if you discount Braintree County, which no one should think about that movie, <laughs> this was, like, her big, uh, like, uh, breakout as a leading lady. Yeah. Because even in Braintree County, even though she got, like, Best Actress nomination for that, this uh, she was really supporting because the lead of that movie is uh, Montgomery Clift, and she isn't yeah. in it that much, and it's, like, a three-hour movie. Yeah, it's just... A, terrible yeah that. and she is in a place yeah, in the it's... sun a lot but not lead yeah so like this is her big breakout as a leading lady and as a star and she really has a very compelling presence and even though yeah like she has some moments and she goes a little over the top like she has this line which is when uh when she's trying to get him to sleep with her and she's saying, like, I can't live on this way. <laughs> and I just think about that line all the time. Like, from the first time I saw that movie, I just remember that line. I think about it all the time. But yeah, I, I don't think that she's really good because she has some moments that are uh, that are more quiet. Like, when... And those are her best, probably. Yeah, that's, those are my favorite parts. Like, when, uh, when, they're, when Big Daddy and and Paul are, t- are talking about Skipper and then they call her in the room to say like oh, what yeah. really happened that day and then he feels like there's really awful things that he tells to her 
like he's supposed to tell her that she's a whore and she's not anything and just like the looks in her face and the reactions that she has are like probably my favorite part of her performance yeah i love her reaction to when judith anderson big mama tell like is, is like yelling at her like why don't you have kids like she isn't super loud in that moment so you really get this reflective performance and also you know when the kid tells her you're you're just mad or because you, you can't have kids like both of those moments like the way she reacts to it is much more personal and emotional than when she is just screaming i feel all the time like a cat on a hot tin roof <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was that was just the dialogue too was a little inherent <laughs> it was a little obvious but it's still entertaining so it works yeah, and like I said at the beginning, like this isn't like a really like an amazing movie that's like re- really well written, and no. <laughs> but it's just so fun to watch, and that's like I prefer that to have like a really great, like a really well written movie and things that just boring. Yeah, it's <laughs> never this movie is never well. boring. Yeah, I mean never, yeah. and it's really well paced too. Yeah, it's it's like pushing two hours, I think, but it just goes by really fast. Yeah, and I think what it does well, like this is going to be an odd comparison, but it does something similar to, God, I've made some of the strangest comparisons on this podcast. Just focusing on the way it looks, it, it reminds me of Do the Right Thing because it really captures like heat and and being in a place that is so hot all the time and you can never cool down and and like the screen is always about to bust because it's like having a heat stroke this and do the right thing i don't know why that movie just came to my mind but like <laughs> they capture like this heat of the summer or at least the heat of a time really well to the point where you feel it not just like from yeah. the sweating but like from like the location like the way the sun shines it's it's really crazy yeah, and there's another movie like that. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen it, but have you seen Body Heat? I've seen parts of it. That movie also does a, like a really great job of like showing the the heat, like the cinematography, like the way the sunlight is always like, streaming in, the way the movie yeah. always looks so orange. And there's not so much of that here, but uh, but I agree that it does a good job of showing, like it's uh, it's most of the time like in it feels very claustrophobic sometimes. Yeah. Like definitely. the way... Like the scenes yeah. between between Maggie and Brooke between, when they're arguing. Yeah. Claustrophobic yeah. And, and intense. And I really like the way that all the this, this shots were framed and how they are always... Like, both of them are always in the shot. Like, sometimes, like, Elizabeth Taylor is, like, sitting and looking at the camera. Oh, and, and the legs. Have, like, him the sitting. legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when she's sending her pantyhose <laughs> after they spilled the ice cream on it. And, the, and yeah. then you have, like, Paul Newman standing in the background. And you also have that shot when, she, when he's, like, uh, standing in front of the camera. And then you have her in the background, like, like, uh, caressing him from behind oh, and she's like yes. talking in his ear like that's another thing like this movie is really sexy like not just like there's not Ooh, step, yes. uh, a lot of sex but like in the performances and the way that everyone is moving and how they talk to each other like I wish that more movies were like that now like, movies are so yes. sexless well yeah you 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 like there are, the reason why I think that is you brought this up there are the way it's edited and the way it's shot 
you rarely have it where there's a shot of just Elizabeth Taylor and then it cuts to just Paul Newman. You don't really have it where it cuts between the two. As you said, most of the shots are with both of them, even if, if one is closer up or one is further behind you have like the relationship on screen at all times and yeah the way they look at each other too so fiery and just building up it's so sexy it's so like powerful in that regard I really yeah and they're also both just such attractive people (laughs) to the point where it's like unreal like name a hotter couple I'm serious like it's it's really hard Like maybe him and Joanne later, but like no, it's not no, the same thing. It's not. It's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different because he had because because Joanne that came isn't out the same year. Oh, Paris. That, uh, no, no, was, that was uh, the Long Hot Summer, which was a movie where he and Joanne like got together, and like they have a similar chemistry there when they, like the looks they give to each other. So I think it's just a Paul thing. <laughs> like well, I also think I, I think Joanne Woodward is a, a little more gracious as an actress, whereas Liz Taylor is more provocative and showy. So I yeah. think that that sort of helps like the fiery within the sexiness work, whereas like Joanne and Paul is like a little bit more smooth in terms of <laughs> in terms of how it's presented. Mm. Yeah. But, mm. you know, do you want to get more into his performance because I feel like we've talked more about his character rather than the performance itself. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about it and saying like how... That his uh, eyes. Yeah. Like, it's really like his eyes. Because like the way that they're shot and how they almost look red. Like he's been crying a lot in some of the scenes. Like, Like you feel like he's about to tear up but he never does. Like showing repressed emotions like uh, performances like that really get me like uh, anthony hopkins is also really good at that uh, showing like oh, how he's yes. really heartbroken inside but he never shows it in the outside but you can the still repression. see it if you look at his eyes yeah the repression makes it more devastating yeah because he's desperate but he can't show that he can't he can't he isn't really quote-unquote allowed to show that explicitly at least whereas it's also just interesting because she's so desperate and she physically shows it whereas you have to like dig more to realize his his actual feelings of desperation and isolation Mm -hmm. and then burl ives is probably the other standout (laughs) yeah and that's a very big performance it fits his name of big daddy (laughs) 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 and it's very loud and very uh, I don't know commanding. Yeah, commanding. And he has like a lot of big scenes, but it's also like not that because a performance like that could be very one note if you give it to the wrong actor. But he has also like this other moments when he's also quieter, <laughs> like like Liz, where when he's first having the con- the conversation with Brick and he's talking like how he thought he was gonna die and how. Now he's gonna, like, like how that gave him a new appreciation for his life. And how, like, in the moment when he's trying to get through to Brick and tell him, like, the, like to, t- to get him to stop drinking and asking him, like, why are you drinking? Trying to connect with him, but not being able to. I think that he's able to sell those things really well. 
Yeah, I think initially you could you could perceive him as a one note character because he is just kind of this fat old rich man who they all love because he's rich and he's just boring. But then the cancer aspect helps with the emotional part part of his performance because he doesn't have much longer to live and maybe a lot of this anger is from that. He doesn't want to die. And you do see like maybe he's also been heavily affected by societal norms and that's the reason why he's forcing it so much on his children and he maybe doesn't love that as much as he seems to and that the conversation between him and brick really shows that and i don't know i think his performance is more layered than it looks if you just look yeah. at this character if you you're given a clip you just think he's screaming and is loud and grunting the whole time but i really like it i i think i think it works especially in contracts in contrast to, to maggie and brick's relationship i think it, it's like a little ironic at first because like everyone's like oh big daddy he's so amazing oh i love big daddy i'm so excited to see big daddy but he's like when he first appears, he's just like a boring fat man. So it, it it allows the irony to shine through until it becomes more of an arc. Yeah, and even what you said about like him also being affected by by the societal norms, like you can even tell it when he's talking about like how he doesn't really like going to church, but he still does it because people expect that of him, and how he also like has to stay with this woman that he doesn't love anymore because. Like, like that's his wife. Yeah, and, and they've had five kids together. Yeah. Oh no, how many have? Do no. we know how many? Kids no, I think it's had? only two. Yeah, I think only yeah. two. At least, in the, yeah, I need never talk about anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of them are then, such lost people. Aside from yeah, aside from May, maybe Madeline Sherwood as May, she seems she seems the weirdly seems like and maybe it's because she's kind of the least developed character, but strangely she seems like she's at the most comfortable position than the rest of them. Yeah, and I think that uh, that she she's really good in this movie. I really like her. Like, yeah, her is more of like a comedic relief character. Because she also has like these ridiculous moments where she, where like, Liz one... Taylor's gonna punch her. <laughs> yeah, and there's like a, at the end when well, because we haven't talked about that, but the, at the ending of the movie, like Elizabeth Taylor says that she is pregnant, and everyone's done like she's got life in her body. <laughs> oh yeah, and then there's like this throwaway shot of Madeline Sherwood just sitting there, like standing there and closing her eyes, but. <laughs> It's, it's well like, you know it's a lie well she knows it's a lie yeah and it's just like her closing her eyes and that shot is always so funny to me and also like her at the end when they're like going up the stairs because they had like the room next to them and so they always heard everything because they were always eavesdropping on brick and maggie and hearing yeah. everything and, and then there's like like all of her line readings are perfect but there's one when they're going up the stairs and she's like like, we've been hearing everything, all the nightly pleadings and the nightly refusals. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like her. And I also think that Judith Anderson is very good in the movie. Even though, she uh, like, she, she a, was a little overdone for me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought her performance was, like, even more loud <laughs> than Elizabeth Taylor at times. <laughs> yeah. 
the, I, I still thought she was good and it kind of fit because the whole movie is like very over the top so it didn't feel yeah. too out of place for me but I can see what you're saying yeah I think she just worked the least for me she was she was still entertaining like I didn't I didn't think mm-hmm. she was bad it was just times where I was like okay I'm not watching this I, like she can't convince me that this is a real human being like no way this is a this is a figurine of a human being, a projection of a thought of a person. It doesn't seem like 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 it because it's just so much. But yeah, it is a very entertaining performance. I do think she's emotional. I, I do think another person hit by societal norms in an interesting way. So I don't have like too many complaints about the realism of it. Though maybe she could have toned down a little <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah well do you have maybe do you have any thoughts on the ending per se or well on the ending I think we can talk about that later because with one of the questions because I have a lot to say about it oh okay I did you like the the I actually did not mention something well during the argument scene it would cut back and forth like between the like the rest of the family talking and I don't know I thought that was kind of a comic relief because it was like you have this big argument between a father and a son and then you just have all these people arguing about the dumbest things that don't matter (laughs) at all and I I like the way it intertwined it within the story yeah because yeah because it's 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 really mostly comedic relief like Cooper and May are, are, are there like for that mostly like Cooper has some moments where he like speaks more emotionally where he's more yeah. vulnerable but like that scene where they're like talking about like how they have how like he's been running the family how how dare he how dare she talk about Brick because he thought was like oh where's Brick where's my only son with him right in front of her um <laughs> But yeah, that that seems very funny. And I don't know if maybe they could have done like a better job so it didn't feel like too sudden, like the change between the two tones. But I it, it mostly worked for me. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I think the point was that the tones were drastic in, in their mm-hmm. difference because it would it would be exhausting if if they were heavily arguing and then you get to like this intense close-up arguing with the father and the son so it wouldn't have made sense to me if they were similar in tone it, it, it just was like it cut like <laughs> big daddy and brick were like arguing about something so personal and then it just cut to them going i'm gonna punch you you're acting like an idiot and i was like okay that, that's funny that's clever <laughs> i mean this was sort of like the climax I would argue and it was yeah it was sort of a break in the climax now that I think about it like what else would the climax be yeah the the like the climax of this movie is like Brick and Maggie finally have sex (laughs) well or 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 it could be or it could be the scene in in which they're attempting to reveal what happened between him and Skipper and her and Skipper but that that's yeah, but that comes stretched almost, over like, almost halfway through the movie. Yeah. And then they have like the, the thing in the basement where they make up and then the, while the other members of the family are having the discussion about who's going to end up with the plantation when Pete Daddy dies. Yeah. 
and then like Maggie comes and says that she's pregnant and then everyone says like oh yeah she's pregnant she's got life in her body and then they go up the stairs and they have sex and the movie ends she's like I was watching it with my grandma and my grandma was like no because she was like lock the door or something and and, and my grandma was like I would lock the door if Paul knew were yeah. in the room <laughs> and I, I was like, like your same. grandma I would also like the door yes I was like yes grandma like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a really sexy moment, the ending. Yeah, like anything with Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> and her. It really it really is the hottest couple I've ever seen on film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but do you have any else, anything else to add about the story or the characters or the ending or anything? Mm. I think we, uh, the other things I have to say, we can do it during the questions. Yeah, we, the questions will expand on this. Okay, so our first question is from Matthew, and he asked, top five performances from Liz and Paul. So I assume you made a list, because this is hard for me. <laughs> like, my list with, for Liz is not, wasn't as hard to make, because even though I love her, and I think that she's one of the greatest movie yeah. stars that she, ever She lived, certainly has better roles she, than others. She, yeah, because she wasn't really taken that seriously as, like, a serious actress, and so she didn't really work with that many great directors, and so it's, like, easy, like, her best performance is easily who's a part of Virginia Well, Wall, do you so want to go, like, do you want to, like, each take turns, and then, like, you share your number one, I share my number one, and then two, two, three, three. Okay. That's, yeah. Well, my, I don't really uh, have a list like uh, uh, ranked. I just have. Oh, my okay. Favorite. Well, my favorite is also Virginia Woolf, obviously. And then yeah. my sec, I wrote number two suddenly last summer, because the over top, over the top nature of that performance worked really well for me. And mm-hmm. even though, like, sure, you can call it way too melodramatic, way too much. I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> well, I also have suddenly last summer on my list yeah so just for that scream like the scene like the big scene where she goes up the hill and then she like screams <laughs> yeah and then third i have cat on a hot tin roof cat on a hot tin roof is also on my list yeah yeah i think she's really good in the movie i i struggled yeah. but i actually do like her performance in a place in the sun just because she is like expressing this vulnerability this like young elizabeth taylor that you don't really see as much where she like is still like in cat on a hot tin roof suddenly last summer she's much more of like a developed sex symbol whereas in a place in the sun you see like the og of it and i and i think she i mean i don't think she's as good as shelly winters but i think i think Mm. she she works in in contrast to the story yeah i also have (laughs) place in the sun in my list because like you said it was like uh i think it was like the the first movie that she made where she wasn't a child in the movie. National like her first adult role. <laughs> yeah. She was and, 19 or 18. Yeah. And again, she doesn't really have like that much to do. Like her character doesn't have, doesn't let her yeah. show her range, but she still has like her presence is enough to make her compelling <laughs> to watch. And like yeah. she and Mont- Montgomery Clift are another contender for like the hottest couple. <laughs> oh, yes. But I think Liz Taylor was hotter like five, 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't I didn't know what to do for five, so I just said her her drunk performance at the Golden Globes when announcing <laughs> best picture. Cause I was I didn't know what to choose. And I thought that was that was like her, her most fun moment. It was just such a Liz Taylor moment. My five is giant. And again, this is not ranked or anything, but the other one oh. that I picked was giant. And uh I think that that movie she's like her character isn't what you would expect to be in this kind of western she's not just like the wife like she actually has her own uh she has her own life and her own ideas and she really stands up to rock hudson's character and she has her yeah she's really good in it i haven't seen it actually which is a shame I, i need to i'm going to soon so that's why I put her jungle in the gold screen. Because the other movies I seen with her, because like I wasn't gonna put Butterfield Eight, I wasn't gonna, <laughs> I wasn't gonna put like Anne of the Thousand Days or Beckett, where she has a cameo in. I wasn't gonna put or the, the VIPs. The VIPs. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I just chose her, her drunk moment at the club. <laughs> and then for Paul. Oh, for Paul, I did. Like I've seen a lot more from him, and he yeah, has like too. much more better opportunities <laughs> to show his acting abilities than listed. But uh, so the first performance that I picked is something that I watched just like two days ago, I think, and it's he's in a supporting role in that movie, and it's a comedic performance, and it's called "What a Way to Go," which is a movie where. Uh, Shirley MacLaine plays this woman who she isn't really interested in money, but she keeps getting married to these men who are poor. And then when she marries them, they get rich and then they die. And then oh. she has to find another husband. <laughs> and she gets like five husbands. And then Paul Newman plays her second husband, who's like this uh, this artist in France who who isn't really very successful. And he's very sexy and he seduces her. And then they get married. And he gets rich because because she gives him a suggestion on how to change his heart, and then they he starts something like crazy, and then he dies in a very insane way. Because like deaths in that movie are insane. Like there's someone that dies, kills like robots, <laughs> and then someone kills because they get kicked by a cow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that movie is really insane. It's really fun. So yeah, yeah what's your well my what? number five I'll, I'll just go to, to number mm-hmm. one i haven't seen like that many outside of the box choices so my mine are a little generic i'm sorry i hate to be boring <laughs> but i actually i'm i know surprisingly our, our film twitter circle they hate the sting but i thought he added a nice layer to the movie I thought like he has like a little bit of build up and then he's like introduced at the halfway point and I actually really liked his performance in it so I went with the sting for fifth. I also really like him in this thing. I like that movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't know why people hate it. I just think it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not like a great movie, but it's just fun to watch. It's fun. Yeah. Uh so another pick that I have is a movie that I mentioned before, which is The La- the Long Hot Summer, which was the same year as Gunnar <laughs> Hudson Roof, and it was the movie where he and Joanne got together, and he plays this guy that he is, like, he gets chased out of every town that he lives at, because he's supposedly 
uh, burns down the the every like the farms in the places where he works and so people don't want him but then in the in this new town she, he gets to like he meets Joanne Woodward and she's this high school teacher and her dad is like the richest man in town and he's played by Orson Welles and then he wants Joanne Woodward to get married and she doesn't want to because she hasn't found the right guy but then like she mm. and Paul get together and stuff so yeah, I think because there's like I like him. I think Paul Newman is my favorite actor, and in part that's because like there are people who are like movie stars, and there are people that are actors, and I think that mm. he's like the combination of the two because he could just like coast on charisma and not really do anything in the movie, and you could watch him just like that. And, and have well, I fun. sort of think Liz Taylor think, can can be like that as well. Yeah. But they, uh, but he and Liz too. They, like they both also have the acting ability, so they can do yeah. like other serious roles that aren't just about the charisma. And they like mix the two things. So yeah, that's yeah. why he is one of my. Uh oh, you cut out. Oh, okay, you're back. You're back. Okay. Uh, another person that I think is like that is Catherine Hepburn. She also yes. Yes. So yeah, and and Shelley Winters. Oh yeah. So yeah, the long hot summer is my second pick. That you yeah. Chose. At number four, I have Cool Hand Luke. I don't love that film, but there there are a few reasons outside of the fact that I think he's solid in it. One, he shows his ass in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> it's, it's not very film. clear. Yeah, it's not yeah. very clear. You it's very to, dark. You have to turn the brightness up. <laughs> and, um, and two, you he obviously doesn't eat 100 eggs, but in real life he had to eat like eight or something, and eggs are like my least favorite food. So like that's impressive <laughs> to me, just the fact that eight eggs in one sitting. It's like impressive. But yeah, I think he's solid in it. It's not a, it's not an amazing movie to me. I know some people really like connect with it emotionally, and I was like, it's it's decent. But yeah, I think he's he's good enough, and then he works for me. Yeah, and since you talked about him showing his ass in that movie, in quite a way to go. There's one scene because in where like in every section with each one of Shirley's husbands in that movie, there's like a montage that shows like how that marriage was. And like the montage for her and Paul Newman is like them just having sex and not really that, but they're like just making out in like oh. inside bathtubs and it, like lying in bed and stuff. And there's one scene where they're like standing and they're both naked and they have like this thing that like this censored bar like over their ass, but you can still see a little bit of <laughs> Now, um, I, now, I, now you've really convinced me to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And another pick of mine is one of his later movies, and it's Nobody's Fool, hmm. which he got another Oscar nomination in 1996. And I oh, think wasn't that the one? Well, some people predicted him no, to win. No, 94 it was. Some yeah, people predicted like him because they, were like, because they were like, Tom Hanks can't win two in a row. So I'll just predict Paul Newman since he seems to be the runner-up, but that didn't end up happening. Yeah. And he was the critics' favorite, I think, because he won yeah. the New York Film Critics and he won the National Society too, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and he, I think he's better than Tom Hanks, but my take that you would have been working Freeman. Oh yeah. 
but yeah, I think he's really good in the movie. He plays like this old guy that's like estranged from his daughter, and then he, he wants to start talking more to her. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, my top three are very popular. Three, I have the hustler, perhaps mm-hmm. his most iconic, maybe. Uh, just watched it the other day. He's great. Really confident performance. Natural lived in i think he works really well about subtly showing the darker and more problematic aspects of the character he isn't in your face about it at all and he's just you know playing another lost person and i think he's really good at it i think he's emotionally compelling but not to the point where it becomes melodramatic or even sentimental so hustler i know generic but i i like him in it i think i think it i think it works well but generic doesn't have to be bad necessarily yeah Yeah. (laughs) and uh yeah i really like him in the hustler and because the question says like favorite performance so that's probably one of his best but it's not one of my favorites so Ah. i didn't include that in mine and so well you have your top two or your next two I, i suppose yeah my but these are like my two favorite, I think. One of them is Karen Hattenberg. Well, yeah, we also, also my, my next one. And we've already talked a lot about it, so we can just, I think, move on to the next. Yeah, well, what is, what is well, my favorite is HUD. I think HUD is his best. I think it's probably my favorite movie he did. He is really fantastic. I think all the subtle qualities he does in The Hustler, I think he does better in HUD. It is, mm-hmm. it is a really fantastic performance. It is such a good character he's working with. Really sad movie, really layered movie. Love the relationships between him and Patricia Neal and him and Melvin Douglas. I think it's really beautifully done. So I'm, I'm going to say HUD is, is my favorite Paul Newman performance. I also love HUD. And he, uh, and I don't know if... Uh... I don't, I don't know exactly the details about it, but from what I've heard, like the novel that had was made from that had a lot of also very queer subtext that were toned down in the movie. And I haven't read it, so I don't know exactly, but that's what I've heard from people. Uh, but my number one is what I think is his best performance, like his best dramatic performance, and that's in The Verdict in 1982. Ooh. And in that one, he plays an alcoholic lawyer who's like past his prime. And he gets like this last case where he's really trying to do the right thing in this one because it's like about a a, a company that's like taking advantage of like, I think it's polluting uh, the water, uh, like a water fountain thing. And so a lot of people... Aaron Brockovich. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) And he's trying to get a a right settlement for them. And then he's struggling because, like, he... It's been so long since he's been this serious about something that he doesn't know how to do it the right way. And I think that that's my favorite performance of his. Yeah, I feel bad not having watched it. But the way you describe it kind of reminds me of Charles Lockton and Witness for the Prosecution. Is it anything like that in terms of the character or not really? Not really, because Witness <laughs> for the Prosecution is mostly a comedic yes. a comedy. This is more of a drama. But do you see but what I'm saying? What you're saying. Co- yeah. 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 But yeah, that was a long question, but 
HUD is probably my favorite just because I think he's doing like the most like nuanced work in that one. I, mm-hmm. I think it's just really fantastic. Okay, you wanna any any more comments on, on the verdict or um not really. Just just sort of one that year. And uh, then... I personally would give him four Oscars for his nine <laughs> nominations. I would give him one for Cat. I would give him one for the verdict. I would give him one for the hustler. I would give him one for Road, Road to Perdition. And that year with HUD is very close between him and Richard Harris for me, for this boarding life. Yeah, as of now, I'm, I'm doing giving it to him for HUD and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, not The Hustler. I actually really liked Maximilian Schell in mm-hmm. Judgment at Nuremberg. So I, I didn't expect to stick with that one, but it's it's close. But not for Cool Hand Luke. That is way too competitive oh, no, of a no, year. No, no. <laughs> too, yeah. Okay, next next question. Mr. Gaga asked, what do you think is the most iconic line in the film? Do you think this is the hottest that Liz Taylor has ever been in a film? <laughs> <laughs> well, about that last, last question, I think maybe... Because this is like maybe one of the ones that has her play up that the fact that she is sexy the most because like for most of the movies she's trying to seduce Bolniaman. So she has to do a lot of that. So yeah, maybe that's like the yeah. sexiest that she's been in a movie. She's she's then, like a prostitute in Butterfield 8, but she doesn't look very good in it. Oh, because she's bored. <laughs> yeah, of course. She's bored most of the time. And she she hated that movie. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot about that. Uh, and what was the other thing? Oh, oh the most, most iconic. iconic line. Line. Well, most iconic is, I feel all the time like a cat on a hot tin roof. But maybe maybe yeah. we should say our favorite lines. Yeah, and there's like uh, like the time the Pony Woman asked her, like, what's the victory of a cat and a hat in birth? Oh, and yeah. She's like, just staying on it, I guess. Because she is the cat. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also like the line that I told you that I just can't live on this way. I just think about that one a lot. That's probably the oh. most memorable for me. Well, I don't remember exactly what she said, but the scene where we were talking about where, where she threatens to punch may there's something like the way she delivered the line before trying to punch her i don't remember what the line was but i remember laughing at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm trying to think if there's another one but i don't think so because i probably it the most yeah yeah okay and then gabe asks burl ives big country or cat on a hot tin roof so i had seen this movie before and i was like how did he not get nominated for this and then I said he did get nominated for something and he won that same year and it was for the big country and then I saw that it was a western and that it was like two and a half hours and I was like I'm gonna hate this and then I started watching it and I actually like really liked that movie because I'm starting to think that I don't hate westerns I just hate John Wayne and he's in a lot of yeah but uh, but as a so, performance yeah i i thought that he was really good in that movie he's actually one of my favorite winners in supporting actor i think he's in my top 20 for the big country because a, a similar kind of performance he plays this patriarch of this yeah. rich family and yeah i think it's really good i still think he's better in cat but 
I'm not mad that he won for that because, like, based on the nominees that year, I still oh, think he should have won for yeah. the big country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't like the big country as a movie. I just got impatient with it. But he was good. I think he, like, just like Hunter Hutchinson, he's very commanding. I think it like makes sense to me as a supporting actor winner. But, you know, you told me he campaigned in lead for Katana Hotten Roof, which took away oh, his chances. Yeah, I saw that it was like a mistake of Warner Brothers that they put him in lead by accident for Kat, oh. and that's why you didn't get in. But yeah. yeah. But he is, he's solid in the big country. He, he's, he, he works for me. Did you like James, Jane Simmons in the movie? Well, I always liked Jane Simmons. I didn't think she was <laughs> amazing. I mean... No, because like, the poor woman, she always got a lot of thankless roles in like movies yeah. like that, or like in biblical epics. She was in Spartacus, and I think in uh, what's the name? The she deserved Rope. better movies. Yeah, she really, she really did. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, I do think he should have won for Cat on a Hot Tim Roof, but this isn't an awful choice at all. And then also, well, this, I'm just going to leave this, well, questions up to you. Does it affect the quality of the film that the more salacious elements of Tennessee Williams' play were um, exist from the film adaptation? And then also, I'll be disappointed if Ronaldo doesn't wax poetic over Paul's hotness. <laughs> so well, I'm just going to leave you to the, that. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to leave the play question to you because I haven't read it. I, I don't know much about it. So I knew that this movie was based on Tennessee Williams' play and that it had yeah. something to do, that it that it was toned down for the movie, that the, the play was more explicit about, like, what exactly was going on with Skipper. And so when I, when you asked me to do an episode and I picked this movie, I thought that I would read the play so I could talk about, like, exactly what it is that they changed. And so I read it, and it isn't exactly that, different and like the structure of it but I'm just going to clarify what it what what's going on with Skipper in the play because in the play like uh, Skipper and Brick were like really good friends they're like very 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 close <laughs> but they had a plot they were in love with each other but they were in denial about it and they like they were always together they all they like they loved each other, but they never had a physical relationship. It was like a platonic relationship. And then like the same thing happens that Polyum gets injured and then uh, Maggie is with Skipper in the game when they lose. And then like Maggie confronts him because he, she's jealous of them being so close. And she tells him like, like, I know you're too... I know you're in love with him. Like, just get away from him, his mind or whatever. And then he's like, oh, no, I don't like him like that. Like, we don't have that kind of relationship. Like, we have a beautiful thing together and you're just making it dirty. So like, we're like gay or something. And I think it's like queers that they use. Like, you're calling us queers or whatever. And then he, to prove that he isn't gay and he isn't in love with Brick, he tries to sleep with Maggie but since he's not into women, he can't do it. And after that, he admits to himself that he is in love with Brick. And he calls Brick to admit it to him. And then Brick doesn't want to face the truth that he also is in love with Skipper. So he just hangs up the phone. And, and then that's... he commits suicide. Yeah, that's what happens. Oh. And 
easy, then it makes more sense, like how he doesn't really want anyone to mention Skipper and how he's always telling like, oh, we had a beautiful thing, like you don't have to talk about it like that because yeah. he doesn't want people saying that they were gay. He's in denial of that, basically. Yeah. So it's more bold in the play. It's much more explicit. It, it, it feels... yeah it's less loosely connected. Whereas in the play, there's a lot of things to try and cover up the fact that he was a yeah, homosexual. And, and there's also like a, like a lot of little things that change like the tone of the play. Because for example, the ending of like they, them finally sleeping together and she's, her saying she's pregnant. And that's basically what happens in the play. But she's the one that takes the lead because in the movie it's like Paul Newman saying like lock the door and you're like get on the bed and do this but it's her that's doing it in the in the play because she says like she hides all of his drinks and he tells her like we're either gonna sleep together and you're gonna get me pregnant and then we're gonna drink together all night long because I need this to feel like safe in here because it's not like your family won't leave me alone because we don't have children or whatever and so yeah, it's her that takes the initiative in that. Because like in the in the in the movie, it really doesn't make sense like why he doesn't want to sleep with her. Because you can see in the movie that he is kind of attracted to her. Yeah. But, he, but maybe it's yeah, just maybe the movie's trying to get you to say he's not gay. He just doesn't really love her. Whereas she yeah. really loves him. But in the play, it's it's there's more backstory behind it. Yeah, and there's also like two different endings because when he wrote it, when Tennessee Williams wrote the play at the beginning, he wrote it with an ending that after they have like the big confrontation, because in the play, like the first act is them like Maggie and Brick in the room, like everything takes place in the room and they're in the room and they're like basically what happens in the first 30 minutes of the movie up until like everyone goes up to their room. And that's basically when the second act starts and it ends when Brick finally tells Big Daddy that he is actually dying of cancer. And that's also different because in the play, he does that on purpose, like out of spite for Big Daddy, for like like talk, uh, getting him to talk about Skipper. He does that, like tells him like, oh, you're going to die anyway or, or something like that. Well, in the movie, he does it's it an accident. accident. It slips out, yeah. Yeah, because basically, like all the ch- most of the changes were to make the characters more sympathetic. Because also, Big Daddy in the play is a terrible person, like even worse than he is in the movie. <laughs> like most of his dialogue is saying like how he finds Big Mama disgusting, how she's ugly and fat, and how he can't stand the sight of her, and how he's gonna get himself a woman, and he's Oof. gonna give her diamonds or whatever. And he still says that in the movie, but it's like a throwaway line where he gives like this whole speech of how he's like tired how he only has a few left in him, if you know what, he, what I mean. And uh, he's not going to spend them on an old fat woman like Big Mama. He's going to find a woman and he's going to give her money and whatever. Like, everyone is terrible in the play. Yeah, it's much more like, grotesque. I can, yeah, I can understand why they changed what they changed. And But yeah. I, can, I still appreciate the movie as a different thing because I knew that they couldn't have made the play as it was. So, uh, like, it probably would have been a better movie if they did the play as it was written, but... I mean, now like, it would have been. Now they would have included yeah, and, all of that. Yeah, that also reminds me that they're at, uh, a few months ago, I, I think they announced that they're going to do uh, a remake of Canada Hattin Brew, but with an all-African-American cast. Hmm. 
my my i mean i like the idea but isn't it supposed to be like, about like jappy white people yeah they did but i think that a few years ago they did like a revival of it on broadway and they did it with black people playing the roles so maybe they they rewrote something i don't, I don't know but yeah yeah probably, that's probably because it wouldn't if, if you took this story and replaced it with black people it wouldn't really make sense it makes no sense <laughs> yeah but that should be interesting I wonder who will play Maggie. I was thinking like Kiki Palmer or something like someone like that, and then yeah. like uh, Rene Reggae Jump Page for a brick. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And then Kieran of Best Picture cast asked, "Do you like? Can do you think Judith Anderson deserved a nomination?" I don't. But she is better than most of the nominees that year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said that. Like, why not? Just because the lineup was not the best. Yeah. I mean, Wendy Hiller. Well, we'll get into this. Oh, no, it wasn't nominated. So, well, Wendy Hiller, I think, really deserved the win. I think she's amazing. But it just doesn't seem like a particularly strong category. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I really like uh, Maureen Stapleton in Lonely Hearts. Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, she has a very small role. She has like two scenes in the movie, and that the only She's two scenes good. that are worth watching. In it. <laughs> yeah. And then I also like Kara Williams because she's very horny in that movie, and that's basically it. Like I relate to wanting to dump your children and go away with the man that you just met. <laughs> that's all she does like she just meets Danny Curtis and she's like oh I don't want my kids and just like she I want to go away, away with you yeah. <laughs> yeah and then Matt Duffy asks do you think it had a chance at winning any any in any category I think that maybe Paul but like they don't like young hot men the academy uh, they yeah. didn't like young attractive men so and like, james the, dean never think... won rock hudson never won yeah and then like liz i don't think she was close no because no, that was oh also like God. the time where she had the whole controversy where she got uh i don't remember his name but like david reynolds husband that she she was yeah. the home wrecker and they weren't gonna and also susan hayward was really expected and i think oh, rosalind, yeah, rosalind russell was probably the runner-up yeah she was the yeah. runner-up yeah so I, and I, then, don't, like, yeah, maybe, I don't think so maybe like the production design I it didn't get it nominated even. it didn't oh okay. only cinematography where gg seemed to oh and another thing that we didn't talk about before but i really like the score of this movie i don't <laughs> I, I don't know it just felt kind of weird they just kind of like implemented into certain moments to try and make it more emotional and it felt a little out of place to me <laughs> i i like it only because of one theme and that's like the one that they play every time that brick and maggie are together it's like this very sultry oh well thing, that's yeah the, yeah that's the only thing i remember from <laughs> oh <laughs> oh okay and then two more questions um, Matt asks, what did you think of Jack Carson's performance? And he yeah, was <laughs> good. He was fine. But... Yeah, didn't have that much yeah, to do. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Well, Zeta asked us, what's your ranking of the 1950s Tennessee Williams adaptations? Oh, well. well, I've seen five. How many have you seen? I've seen all of them except for the Glass Menagerie, but I have watched a later adaptation of it. That came oh, out from in the 80s. 87 that was directed by Paul Newman. Oh, <laughs> and starring Joanne Woodward. <laughs> there you go. But how many have you seen from the 50s? Is there more um, than five? I think, let me see. There are six. Uh, yeah, I've, and seen I've seen five. five of the, of the me too. Yeah. Well, I think we both had the same last place. Minus the rose tattoo. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, that movie is very strange. And I don't know what the hell Burt Lancaster is doing there. Yeah, my last is the rose tattoo. Fourth, baby doll. Third, cat on a hot tin roof. Second streetcar first suddenly last summer. Okay, my fifth is the Rosa two. My fourth is uh sudden last summer. My third is baby doll. My second is Canada Hutton Roof, and the first is street streetcar. Yeah. I love streetcar and suddenly last summer the most. I mm. think I think that suddenly last summer is just like so twisted like it it was so shocking to me it's one of the most insane movies i've ever watched <laughs> and i have to say like it was so bold and so expressive that i and i enjoyed it the most too so i'm I'm gonna have to go with that but streetcar like is more practical like i like it would make more sense if i said streetcar i think it's like <laughs> the most well-made and I think like the performances are probably the best in Streetcar, but in terms of what I enjoyed the most, suddenly last summer. Yeah. And I haven't seen the 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 version of the Glass Menagerie from the 50s, but I'm gonna take the one from the 80s. Like it's that one. Yeah. And I would put that like it's probably it's better than the Rose Tattoo. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well. I think we can move on to the categories if if you're ready. Yeah. Okay, let me just I think our first category is cinematography. And it was nominated alongside there. Auntie Mame, <laughs> The Old Man in the Sea, South Pacific, and your winner was Gigi. So what would you give the win to? I think that that's a terrible lineup. <laughs> what what is the, man, the old man in the sea doing? Because there? that like, movie doesn't have cinematography; it's just backgrounds you know? of of videos. And also, like I think I like Antimane, but what is it doing in cinematography? I have no idea. And then Gigi, no. Yeah, so I'm, I guess I'm, by default, kind yeah, of thing. Me too. I mean, it, as we said, it does it does capture the heat of the summer. It does do a good job at exploring the heat and, and it may, and it really is immersive in that sense, but it's, it's not a great lineup. And very well framed. So yeah, it kind of makes sense for it to be there. Uh, we both just cut out for a bit, but I don't know. <laughs> it's unstable, but no, yeah. I could still hear you. Oh, okay. What you okay. said. But I was just saying that, yeah, it, it makes sense that Cat is there. Like, out of them, it, ha- it is very well framed and very well, uh, like, blocked all the scenes. 
like actually someone actually thought about how it was going to look before they shot it so yeah 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 and then categories that actually matter <laughs> uh adapted screenplay it was nominated alongside the horse's mouth i have not seen that film but no one i think it was it. written by uh, alec guinness yeah isn't it? but who cares about it <laughs> and then i want to live separate tables and your winner was gg so would you give cat on a hot tin roof the win like there's something that doesn't really make sense to me and it's that no matter how much they love them they never give the writing awards to musicals and the one time they did it was for Gigi. like <laughs> what yeah that doesn't make I sense i don't to get me. it i don't get it like the the sound of music didn't get nominated like uh West Side Story won 10 Oscars and the one that it didn't win was for writing and then you came with Cabaret Cabaret I mean The Godfather was The Godfather but like Gigi is the one film you choose really wait Uh, did My My Fair Lady didn't win either so no it didn't yeah this is the one Beckett won that year yeah this is the Uh, one one musical so so yeah out of those nominees I do think that Cat should have won I because it's between that probably and I want to live because I probably one of those two because I don't like I know you like it but I don't like separate tables. Oh, I mean I'm I don't know I'm sure. Mm. I want to live to me is more of a directing thing than a writing mm-hmm. thing and an acting. So maybe I'll go with Cat Cat on a Hutton Roof or Separate Tables. One of the two. Ooh, okay. Best, do you want to do actor, actress, director, picture? Which which order do you want to go in? Let's go with director, then the acting, and then picture. Great. So Richard Brooks was nominated alongside Stanley Kramer for The Defiant Ones, Robert Wise for I Want to Live, Mark Robson, for the inn of the sixth happiness and your winner was Minelli for Gigi. So would you give Brooks the win? So yes, I would. And I it's not because I think it's like greatly directed, but I'm just terrible what is there, I guess. And I haven't seen the inn of the sixth happiness. Me neither. But from what I've heard it's not great. So I'm not I don't think I would change to that when I yeah. see it. Yeah. I'm going with Robert Wise pretty easily. I think mm-hmm. I think I Want to Live has some really fantastic and intense filmmaking. I think his his voice behind it is really present and that's not something I would think of like when you when you look at the movies this year but like uh-huh. out of this lineup which isn't very good I'm going to go with Robert Wise just because he's like the one option here that I think is great because Cataratin Roof it is very theatrical and you can really tell that in a lot of places whereas I want to live I think is more cinematic mm-hmm. now, like where was Albert Hitchcock that's what I'm saying Vertigo yeah I don't love Vertigo but that's a very directed movie yeah I don't know tell. I don't know why they I think that Art direction is the only thing that it got. Yeah, sadly. Uh, Actress. Ooh, fun one. Uh, Liz Taylor was nominated alongside 
Deborah Carr for Separate Tables, Shirley McLean for Some Came Running, Rosalind Russell for Auntie Mame, and your winner was Susan Hayward for I Want to Live. So, so I, when I first saw both Cat uh, and Auntie Mame, I thought it, it was like pretty equal between like Ross and Liz. And I didn't know who to pick because like, even though I love Liz in the movie, like this is the only time that I would be close to giving Roth the win because your other three nominations aren't really it. <laughs> They're not great. And so I rewatched Anti Mame and I rewatched Cat, like t- basically t- today. And now I wasn't as taken with Anti Mame. I think I liked it less than the first time because I think that it's a little too long. Like I like it at the beginning, but I think that she is doing like the same thing, and I really like what she's doing. But after like two and two hours and twenty minutes, it gets a little bit tiring of like that high level of energy all the time. So yes, I would pick Liz to win. I'm going with Roz. I have Liz at third, Susan Hayward at second. I'm actually really close to giving Susan Hayward the win here. Um, if I rewatch I, I Want to Live, I might give Susan Hayward the win. I, I really love it. I think she's one of the best best actress winners. I think she's fantastic. I love Liz's performance, but as I said, it isn't... I mean, you could argue Auntie Mame doesn't feel like a real person at times either. But Auntie Mame, like, as a character to me, like, means more. I, I, I have more of a connection with it. I think the humor never really exhausted me. I think a lot of the point of the character is that she is a little incessant about her over-the-top nature. So I'm sticking with Roz, but, like, Susan Hayward's close. <laughs> Surprisingly close. Deborah, Ker- Deborah Carr. I don't know why. I, I, I usually say Carr. I know the I know the Carr rhymes with star thing, but I still manage to say Kerr sometimes. I don't understand. <laughs> Deborah Carr is awful. <laughs> she isn't good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that she's boring. She's entertaining to watch. And it, and her character isn't bad, but it's a dreadfully artificial performance. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know why, because she doesn't usually do that. Like she's usually, yeah. she's usually very natural. But so I don't know what went wrong. Maybe it's the direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't weird. remember who directed that. Was it? Who was it? It was. Kramer? No, it was Delbert Mann. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the guy that did Marty. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I want to rewatch. I want to live just because I want to see like is Susan Hayward gonna be my winner mm-hmm. Ooh, okay actor i'm sure you have some stuff to say about this uh newman was nominated alongside poitier and curtis for the defined ones spencer tracy for the old man in the sea and your winner was david niven for separate tables so take it away <laughs> the first thing what is spencer tracy doing here <laughs> He, like, the movie is him. Like, the entire movie is him, and he does nothing. He's but- trying, though. <laughs> I have to give him credit for trying, and he's acting against a video. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, uh, okay. Okay, I guess. <laughs> he's there. And then, between the two men from the Defiant Ones, I really like Sydney. 
and then the like Paul is the missing one for me here. Yeah. I easy. Yeah, me too. I don't like this lineup. I don't like the Defiant ones at all. I think it's pretty terrible. Um, the old man in the sea was boring. So I don't like I don't love Poitier, Curtis, or Tracy that much. Niven is I really like his performance, but it isn't that much of a lead. It seems like a more supporting role. So Paul is the only performance here that I think is like truly worthy of an Oscar. Yeah, and David Niven that year had another movie that I've heard from some people that have seen it that it, that he's really good in it. That's Bonjour Tristesse. Mm. That Deborah Carr is also in that enough for that. She's also really good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I should probably watch that. But yeah, Paul. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it seems that David Niven is the shortest best actor winner ever he has less screen yeah. time than anthony hopkins in the silence of the lambs <laughs> so like 20 minutes right 23 i think <laughs> wow and then picture yeah but paul as well like obviously <laughs> and then picture it was nominated alongside separate tables the defiant ones on team aim and gigi was your winner so so apparently, according to me, Canada Hatton Rose should have swept all of its nominations. <laughs> and it's mostly because there isn't anything else that I like in there. Because I like the defense was a lot more than you. And I think that anti Mame is good, but it's a little too long. But then the other two, Gigi and the Defiant and separate tables, I don't like at all. Especially Gigi. Gigi's terrible. Yeah. So yeah, Cat should have won all five of its nominations. Six. Yeah, some f- six of the nominations. Yeah. Yeah, I would give it to Auntie Mame, but I like Cat on a Hot and Roof and Separate Tables a lot. I don't like Gigi or the Defiant one. So it's like, okay, lineup for me. I, I wish you got things like Vertigo in here or. Or even another movie. Like, I, why, why wasn't. Simmons. Oh yeah, I talked about Jane Seymour and she had Home Before Dark this year. She plays a woman that was like that was in a psychiatric hospital, and then she gets out. So yeah, she's really good in that. She should have been the best actor. I just don't know why I want to live. Like nominate that. Like that's better than most of these. So I don't really. The ex- it was definitely sixth place, right? It won actress, it got the director's screenplay nominations. It seems to be there. I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fine lineup. I don't think Gigi is like awful. I think it's like not great. I think it's whatever, but it's not terrible for me. And like it was gonna win inevitably. So it won all eight. It's like it won all of the Oscars it was nominated for. Yeah. But I'm I'm going with Auntie Mame just because it's the one I enjoy the most. And I don't know. Have you seen The Birdcage? No. Isn't the original one from this year, though? No, the original one is from 70-something, 78, oh. I think. It's a French oh. movie called La Cage of Paul. Yeah. And, like, the plot of Antimame in, like, the last movie, in the last hour of Antimame, when, when this ungrateful child is bringing, like, her, his significant other's parents 
and they're conservative. And so Antimame has to hide who she really is for that ungrateful child. And that's pretty much the plot of The Birdcage. Mm-hmm. It's like about this gay couple that has a kid that they adopted. And then he, that kid wants to bring someone, uh, his girlfriend's parents, and they don't know that his parents are gay. And so one of them dresses up as a woman to receive them in their house. <laughs> and that's basically Antimame, The Last Hour. <laughs> so yeah, I, do, I was just thinking about it when I watched last night. <laughs> I need to watch that one as well. It's one of those classics that I haven't gone around to. But yeah, I mean, it's it. I think these categories make sense. I think they're fairly straightforward. I I mean, David Niven yeah. was was that expected? It seemed sort of expected. No, really. He won some critics awards and he won the Golden Globe, and that movie got a lot of nominations. So I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. But looking at it from today, it is a bit of a weird win. Just because Imagine really... if like Spencer Tracy was runner up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But overall, I mean I would give it cinematography and actor, whereas you'd give it everything. <laughs> but I still everything. do like it a lot. I still like it a lot. But any any final comments on it? Um, oh, I just had a line that I saved from when I was reading the play that really made me laugh. Because there's uh, when Big Daddy is uh, is first talking to Brick, when he get, first sees Brick and he tells him, like, how did you break that that leg? That, were you jumping hurdles or something? And that's what they say in the movie. But in the play, he thinks that he was there sleeping with another woman that wasn't Maggie. And then I even I took a screen capture of his line and he was saying what he said was, was it jumping or humping that you were doing out there? What were you doing out there at 3 a.m.? Laying a woman on that center track. And then he says, I asked you, Brick, if you was cutting yourself a piece of poontang last night on that center track, I thought maybe you were chasing poontang on that track and tripped over something in the heat of the chase. Is that it? <laughs> my god yeah should have been in the movie (laughs) no and i'm grateful that they cut a lot of the things that they cut because that was bad there was like all the disparaging remarks that he had about big mama and how fat and ugly she was there was also like one racist line that he has where he says like how he how when he was young he started uh working like he was an n-word mm-hmm. and yeah there's a lot of that that they cut and also a lot of repetition like people say the same thing a lot of times like that line about the poon thing he says it twice in the same line there's a lot of that in the play yeah well i now i should read the play <laughs> i wish i got to see it when it was out but not everyone can live in the 50s yeah but i mean overall i think i think it's a solid film it's not surprising to me that you chose it out of all the films on the list but where can people find you with regards to social media no i'm on twitter at at r s-a-n-t-a-n-a 2024 
And I also have a letterbox and that's linked in my profile. So you can find it there and you go to my Twitter. And that's basically it. I don't really do anything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter at Sam the Parasite, Letterboxed, Sam Meltzer. Please review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. Thank you all for listening. New episodes every Friday.